Welcome to the teaching ministry of Paseo del Rey Church in Chula Vista, California. We invite you to open up your Bibles as we join Fred Dominguez for today's message. My name is Fred. I'm one of the student leaders here at Paseo. Um, like Carlos said, it's on us. So you get what you pay for. And this is free. So um, hold on a second. <laughs> You're welcome. This is why they bring me up here. Um, I have to wear my glasses now to read the screen even when I'm like right there. Yeah, Jimmy. I have to bring water because my throat just... I can't talk for that long, so 2017, yeah, uh, new year, new me, right, everything's going downhill, um, no, I'm glad to be with you, I'm glad to be uh, sharing, opening God's word with you this morning as we continue in our series in Romans chapter 8, if you have a Bible, go ahead and turn there, if you have a phone, iPad, impressive, because a phone's not enough, iPad, bigger screen, if you don't have a Bible with you, you don't have it on your phone or anything, Bible in front of you, page 1133, Romans chapter 8. We're going to be in verses 12 through 17 this morning. But as we get started, what can happen is, um, if you've ever gone into the middle of a conversation, right, you don't know what they have talked about, you don't really know the reason why they're talking, where they're going, when you jump into the middle of a conversation, you might miss the entire point of it completely. You might actually put your foot in your mouth completely. And maybe like a great symphony or a great song, if you listen to 10 bars of that song, but not the beginning or the end, you might miss the beauty of the song or the symphony. That can happen when we study the Bible in chunks and, you know, time restraints and all that. That's how we do it. And it's great because we go through books of the Bible. But what happens is when you zoom in and you don't actually see everything that's going on in the passage, you might miss something. So Pastor Gary did a great job last week. Uh, kind of summarizing chapters 1 through 7 of Romans by focusing us in on Romans chapter 5. And it says there that while you and I were sinners, while you and I were enemies of God, while you and I went our own way, God took initiative. God took the initiative to die for you, to live a life that you can't live otherwise, to die the death you deserve to die. And to rise in victory with a power that you could not otherwise fathom. And because of that, we get to Romans chapter 8. So I'll turn there myself. And when you get to Romans chapter 8, you see something where it says, Therefore, in verse 1, you have no condemnation. You don't have to live under a pressure we just sang about or a guilt that we just sang about or a shame that we just sang about. You get to live a different life. You get to live a new life. And then Pastor Gary stopped. And so we put a pause in that conversation and that's where we pick it up. And that's why it's important to kind of know. Okay, I don't do what I'm supposed to. God comes in and wrecks my life in a good way. And so now I'm forever different. Amen? Verse 12, therefore, because of that, because I am forever different, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation, but it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you'll die. But if by the spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. For those who are led by the spirit of God are the children of God. 
The spirit you received doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're God's children. And now if we're God's children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. That's rich. Let's pray. Father God, uh, I thank you for your word. Uh, We thank you as a community for the fact that you let us come together as brothers and sisters and read about you, to know you. And as we get to know you, we get to know more about who you want us to be. May the meditations of my heart and the words of my mouth be pleasing to you. Oh, Lord, our rock and our redeemer. I pray for my friends and I pray for myself. My sins are many. May I get out of the way and may your spirit come into each one of us and do something anew, fresh. So that Chula Vista and the world, Rwanda, the Middle East, Belize, National City, Spring Valley, El Cajon, downtown. May they know that Jesus makes us new, that Jesus makes us different, and that that is good news. Spirit, do that this morning. We ask in your name. Amen. Everybody lives for something, and everybody lives to something. Whether it's your job, whether it's your spouse, whether it's your family, you have goals, you have dreams, you have expectations for your life. Everybody does. It's normal. And Paul admits that whether you're a Christian or not, we have an obligation, a debt, a responsibility. You and I live for something or someone with a direction, with a path, with an authority. There's something that rules and reigns in our life. If it's, the, if it's career, right, it'll be education, career development. If it's your spouse or if it's a family, it'll be children and parenting, something always rules over us. We have it that way because we're designed that way. Paul, though, begins by saying, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. That's a fact. That's known. That is something that's naturally known to mankind. You and I live under a debt or a responsibility. But he says, I want you to make sure of this, that it's not to the flesh to live according to it. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. Beginning this morning, we want to look at the first thing for your notes is that a self-designed, where am I at? An obligation to the self is a self-designed death. An obligation to self is a self-designed death. What are we talking about? Paul is saying that there is a way in which you and I live, in which you and I are the rulers of our life. You and I get to decide everything about us. We are special snowflakes, and so no one can tell us that we're wrong. And I have to find myself, and everything within me is good. Everybody outside is bad. And so if I just harness myself, bring myself by my bootstraps, and I am me, and I am the truest me, then I will be new, I will be alive, I will be right, and everything will be good with the world. He actually says, if you live that way, you're designing your own death. An obligation to the self is a self-designed death. 
that we live in a cultural myth that says that who we are in and of ourselves without any outside influence is beautiful, it's perfect, and it's the way we were meant to be. And when he says that when we find death in and of ourselves, take it, I don't have it with me, but if you've got, you know, your phone, your iPad, you have a MacBook, some other non-Apple product that doesn't really work or do everything you want it to, if you're not an Apple person, I'm sorry, you're part of the fall and sinful, broken world. But these electronic devices, right, were designed in and of themselves to get life source from, right, charger, battery, electricity. When you and I go our own way and do our own thing and who we want to be who we want to be because we're special snowflakes, what we're doing is we're taking away our electronic device out of the electricity plug and trying to live eternally with it on. What that means is that, and all of us that use electronic devices know that, the more you use it, the more it dies and the battery goes down. But what we have come up with in our own brilliance as human beings is, well, I will download an app called My Spouse. I will download an app called My Career. I will download an app called More Money. I will download an app called More Pleasure, More Comfort, More Whatever. And that app will bring me more battery life. So I will use it all the time, Wi-Fi or not. I will use it everywhere at all times. I will leave it running and it will forever sustain me. And then we're shocked when our phone dies more quickly. Because we, and Paul is affirming it, we use the very things that bring death to bring life into our world. The very things that drain us, we believe will sustain us. An obligation to self is a self-designed death. The more you do it on your own, the quicker you run to your own destruction. That's the way we lived. That's the way our culture lives. I love our culture. I love our music. I love all of it. It's not, it's not us versus the world. But the reality is us left on our own will bring us to our own death. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. There's a way in which you and I can live that's different. I'm not making this up. Go to Genesis chapter 2. You don't have to turn there right now, but you can write it down. In Genesis chapter 2, you see the design of man. God comes and he breathes life into us. Theologians call that Imago Dei. We are living in the image of God. He, he made us to reflect him. We are made in special relationship to God than the trees. Right? God has a special relationship with us than animals. We are made in his image and his likeness. And because of that, we are to live in reflection of him. Which means, why don't we lie? Because God is true. Why don't we hate? Because God is love. Why don't we steal? Because God is honest. Everything we're supposed to be is because of who God is. We're not supposed to get our cultural responsibility and moral standard from the world around us as though we have all the answers, but from the creator above us. Because he has all the power. 
And so there is a way in which you and I can live in which we tap into the creator's design for our life. It's the opposite of a life that's designed by us. It's actually a partnership with the spirit or a God-designed life. That's what we want to talk about this morning, the God-designed life. That you and I live on our own and do our own thing and lead us to death, or we connect to God, to the source of life, to the source of everlasting life, and bring life into our world now and forevermore. Two things can happen, though, when we read verses like this. If by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. One is to completely ignore you and say, by the Spirit, the misdeeds of the body will die and you will live. And we wrongly assume that the Christian life is a static life, a life where we just sit on the couch and we just kind of have things happen to us. God just kind of rains down holiness on us. And we don't even try. We don't even do anything. All of a sudden I get up and I'm just a better human being. Why? I, I don't know. I prayed about it. We don't do that with dinner, right? God provides. You get up and go to the kitchen and you make yourself some food, right? Like there is partnership with God in everything we do. He gives breath. We move. He provides a job. We go to work. He provides food and sustenance and we make it, right? It's just this, and I know kind of, it's kind of silly, but we kind of live that way sometimes. I don't change anything about me. I live the exact same way I used to live. How come God's not doing anything? Well, Maybe he is. There's a lot of electricity. There's a lot of life there. You're just not plugging in. The other mistake, though, is completely ignoring the Spirit. And and when you read that verse, it says, if you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. No mention of the Spirit. No mention of God. No mention of who he wants you to be or what he wants you to do or any influence. And we become practical atheists. Or even worse, we might give God the credit, but we don't give God any of the room to influence our life. Oh, yeah, yeah, God did it. Oh, man, God is so good. But in that moment, it was all you. You made the decision. You made the calls. You made the choices. But we're Christians and we're in a growth group. So, yeah, God really helped me out there. There's a difference between giving God lip credit and giving God the room to have influence in your life. A true partnership. Where when he says something, you and I actually do it. When he leads us a certain way, you and I actually follow him. Not say that we want to follow him, but actually walk and follow him. A partnership with the Spirit is a God-designed life. And that happens this way. I want to look at two verses up on the screen. Uh, the first is Ezekiel 36, 25 through 28. God says, I'll sprinkle clean water on you and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your impurities and from all your idols. I'll give you a new heart and put a new spirit in you. I'll remove from you your heart of stone and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put in my spirit in you and move you, right, key. I will move you to follow my decrees And be careful to keep my laws. Inward leading to outward. Then you will live in the land I gave your ancestors. You will be my people and I will be your God. Jeremiah 
um, Jeremiah 31, 33, and 34. This is the covenant I will make with the people of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I'll put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. This is critical. No longer will they teach their neighbor or say one another, know the Lord, because they will all know me. From the least of them to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their wickedness and will remember their sins no more. I love that picture. No longer will they teach their neighbor or to say to one another, know the Lord. There is a way in which you and I live the Christian life, the God-designed life, where it doesn't come from outside society, spousal, cultural pressure to live a certain way. Jesus says that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, and that a good tree produces good fruit, and a bad tree produces bad fruit. What this is talking about is you have an apple, and you go over to your spouse's dead orange grove, and you say, be more of an apple, and you staple the apple on the orange grove that's dead. And then you come back a week later, and you're surprised that the tree hasn't grown a bunch of oranges. Right? Like, that's kind of silly. It's dead, and it produces oranges. How would it ever change itself to produce apples? But that's how we try to live our Christian life. That's how we try to influence those we love the most to live Christian lives. That's how we try to love our, you know, if you have children, your children, you can have that temptation to do that to your kids' lives. You're an orange. Well, you are going to be an apple tree. And I will staple apples on you until you look like an apple tree because we are a family of apple trees. Dang it. And we go to apple church and we go to, you know, we go to apple group and you're going to go to apple school and, and you are an apple. And then they leave high school and go to college and we are shocked that they're not apples and they've been oranges all along. That the Christian life and the God-designed life is the kind of life that comes from the inside to the outside, not from the outside to the inside. That the God-designed life is a partnership with God in which when out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, so what's inside of us will come out to the world around us. It's a partnership with God to live the life that God has designed for us. It's not giving God the credit, but it's giving God the ability to actually change the roots of you, the things you value the most about you, the things that have been around about you the longest. Roots take the longest, right? Well, maybe God will show up to your tree and say that the root that you love the most is actually a bad root and cut it. That might happen, huh? The Christian is restrained from doing certain things in order that he may do other things that are infinitely more worthwhile. That might be what God is calling you to in 2017. That God's going to cut some roots that you really enjoy. And you, you know, you love trimming the branches of the tree and God loves, you know, I'm going to make it a different shape. And God says, no, I just, I don't want you to be an orange grove anymore. I want you to be an apple tree. I don't care about the shape of the branches. I care about the roots within. And that really is repentance. It's what we talk about at Paseo Del Rey Church all the time. We want to partner with God to transform people into fully devoted followers of Jesus. That as God works within us, then he's going to outwork through us. 
um, C.H. Spurgeon used to say that Christians are like the um, pipes for water to come into a desert landscape. Is it about us? No. But if you don't have pipes, you're not getting water. You know what I mean? You have to work with the everlasting source of life to bring life into your families, into your communities, and into our world. It's a partnership. And that's what repentance is. Repentance is we're walking away from our design, away from our creator, doing everything we want to do. Genesis chapter 3, right? We believe the lie that God's just a joy, you know, joy kill, and he actually wants to design us to um, not fulfill us and sustain us, but actually to oppress us. So we need to find our own way. And we go this way. And Jesus comes and lives the life you're supposed to live. He dies the death that you, sh- you were supposed to die. And he comes back to life to give you power. And now you're no longer just not walking. You're actually turning and still walking. But now you're walking a new path. That's why followers of Jesus were not called Christians initially. They were called followers of the way. And that's why Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life. Because he is a way in which you walk, in which you move, in which you're active, which brings the blessing and the fruit of life. Tracking with me? We're here? Okay. Three evidences of the God-designed life. I had a deadline, so I said evidences, three blessings, three fruits, three, three points. Here we go. For those who are... <laughs> Of the God-designed life. You can think of it as what I get to enjoy if I walk with God. Or ways that I get to live in which I get to walk with God a little bit more every single day. I hope this encourages you. It has encouraged me the last few weeks. This is what God wants for you and for me in 2017. More than, you know, new number on the scale. More than, I don't know, more money in the bank. More than whatever it is, God wants more of you. Him in you. He says this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. There's two things I want to contrast in that uh, passage, in that portion of our passage this morning. It's the two spirits, slavery and adoption, and the two responses, fear and crying out. The first evidence of a God-designed life or the first blessing of a God-designed life is that you are brought into God's family. That you're brought into God's family. Paul makes a sweeping statement that's not made by any other world religion. Every other world religion does not teach this. Not all religions are the same because not all religions say that you are God's child. Not a primary identity of servant or slave or creation or anything. Your primary identity, who you are, is a child of God. I think everybody in our growth group last session, except for Kate and I, had kids. So I've gotten to learn a lot about kids from a safe distance. It's kind of like, you know, you go and you can watch behind the... There's like bars in between. So I, I can be safe. And we had him over, I think, like last week or something. All, all the kids over to the house. Um, that's a lot of kids. 
And that's a lot of constant attention and constant need and constant, you know, running around and don't touch that, don't touch that. Why don't you want to touch this? And hey, eat this, don't eat that. That's a rock, don't do that. You know, like all those kinds of stuff, right, with your kids. It's, they're all like sitting over here. 24-7 work. You guys are awesome. Um, I can put my dogs in a kennel. That's frowned upon with kids. Um, what you guys do is, I, I don't know. I don't ask questions I don't want to know the answer to. But they're constant work. And they have constant need. And the parents give constant attention. And God says, I want you to identify with that. When, we re, when Jesus says things like, I want you to be more childlike, it doesn't be more whiny. Don't be more whiny. No, it says, understand you're a lot more dependent than you think, and understand God pays a lot more attention than you think. And that when you're his child, you don't want to make them cry. Your parents, and you love to see them smile. That's something that I've been learning, um, particularly because we are not just children of God by nature. We're not just children of God by merit. Their spirit you received brought about your adoption. As someone that knows that parent-child relationship particularly well, um, my parents took on a liability, me, by choice. I was not an accident. I was not an unplanned liability. I was very much deliberate. You're not unplanned to God. You're not an accident to God. You're very much deliberate to God. When God takes it upon himself to love you and to pay the cost for college, wedding stuff, bunch of home stuff, just dealing with me stuff, it's not an accident and it was not unplanned. It was deliberate. That changes things. Because God's not obligated to you. He's drawn to you. That changes things. When love doesn't come from obligation, but from affection, from attraction, it changes things. A life is an adopted child. You want to make dad smile and you hate to see mom and dad cry. That's the Christian life. That's repentance. That's holiness. That's living more like Jesus. I hate to see my parents cry, and I love to see them smile. I love when God smiles. I love when I do what he wants me to do. Not because I have to, but because he loves me. And I hate it. I absolutely hate it when I break God's heart. Not because he's obligated to me, but because he's really drawn to me. Changes everything. The second evidence of a God-designed life, the second blessing of a God-designed life, the second way to cultivate a God-designed life, is that is to believe and to understand and to know you are no longer afraid of God. One, right, the spirit you receive doesn't make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, I now get to cry out. Sticking with the little kid theme. You have a child, they're in their room, and they have night terrors. Good mom and good dad, what do you do? You don't turn up the TV louder. You run in and you comfort. You run. <laughs> you don't turn up the TV louder and you run into the room and you comfort. Amen? Amen? Yes, amen. 
if you're the child of God that you believe you are, are you afraid God's going to come in and reprimand you because you were loud? Or do you believe that God's going to come in and comfort your fears? Do you think that when you cry out, you're going to get met with be quiet, be polite, be nice, don't make a lot of noise, don't make a lot of mess, or with I love you, what's wrong, let me hear you out, you might be ridiculous, there's no monster under the bed, right? That's, that's kind of Jesus' tone with consider the lilies, consider the ravens, I take care of everything, why would I not take care of you? But he's addressing a fear, Right? You address your kids' fears regardless of whether they're rational or not. God does the same for you. Some of us live afraid of making a mess out of our life because we think God's going to come down and bring the hammer down. But it's actually that we have this exciting confidence that I get to cry out and make a mess. Cry out and say, I need you. Cry out and say, I don't have it figured out. Cry out and say, I'm done pretending. I just, I need help, Dad. You're no longer afraid of reaching out to God. And this comes out primarily through repentance of sin. You just committed sin. You just committed something heinous. You just violated somebody's trust. You just, you just potentially ruined a relationship you you've gone sideways whatever it is do you lean into god or do you withdraw from the family of god right i don't want to talk to anybody i don't want anybody to know i don't want anybody to find out what are they going to think of me I don't want to tell God. He's going to tell me I'm, I'm pathetic. He's going to tell me I'm a sinner. He's going to tell me I'm not forgiven. He's going to tell me I'm not condemned. He's going to tell me I'm under condemnation again. Or, I can't believe I made Dad cry. Dad, I need your help. I, I did this. I, I know you tell me I shouldn't have. I know you tell me to stay away from that. I know you tell me not to look at that. I, tell, I know you tell me not to say that. I know you tell me not to do that. And I did it. Dad, I'm so sorry. Dad, I, I made a mess. C- can I get some help? That's different. That's different. And being part of the family of God is critical for this, not being afraid of God, because some of us want to become holy and become better, but we don't want to be involved and we don't want anyone in our business. That's why growth groups are so critically important. Being part of the family of God allows us to be around people that call out our crap. (laughs) Because sometimes you get your brother in a headlock and you're like, oh, God, dad wants me to be patient and you let him go. And, and you start talking bad or you start thinking bad and you start going, oh, no, no, these are my brothers and my sisters. This is who God wants me to be. And we talk about the one another's in the Bible. You can't do the one another's if you're not around one another. Right? Being part of the family of God is part of the development of your God-designed life. And it gives you the space to be able to confess to your brothers and your sisters, I need help because I'm not listening to dad as good as I should and as good as I want to. Can you help me? So many of you already do it. You meet with one another and you come together and confession is just telling your brother and your sister, hey, uh, 
Yeah, dad, you know, dad said to do these five things, and I did the opposite five things. <laughs> I need help with my chores a little bit. That's what it is. Lastly, the Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we're children, then we're heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. I love the word testify there. The Spirit himself testifies. There's a lot of evidence in yours and I's life that we're not children of God. Amen? A lot of times we don't do what we're supposed to. A lot of times we do the opposite of what we were supposed to do. Our words, our thoughts, our deeds, our attitudes are not what they're supposed to be. Maybe that's just me, confession time. And Paul says, there's something stronger than what you do. It's what the Spirit has done. There's something that speaks louder than your mistakes, than your failures. And that's the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God that hovered above the face of the waters in Genesis 1. The Spirit of God that descended upon Jesus at the baptism of Jesus. That led him out to do the miracles and live the perfect life. The Spirit of God that is with the followers of Jesus now says to you, you're his child. But I don't act like it, but you're his child. But I don't feel like it, but you're his child. But I don't live like it, but you're his child. Wow. That's more powerful than whatever I could ever do, Romans chapter 8. Nothing could separate us. Not even you could separate you. From a good dad that says, you're not playing in the street, but I really want to. I don't care what you want. You're coming inside because I love you, because I care about you. The Spirit testifies that you're a child of God. When I hear the word testify and testifying with our spirit and kind of that partnership, right? It's what I want, but sometimes I don't do it and God helps me. Um, I, a couple of years ago, I was testifying in court and... This defense attorney was just, I mean, he was going after me about the way that I interviewed this witness. And, you know, do you keep your notes? Do you write notes? You know, he's like basically asking me, what grade of English did you complete? Like, are you sure you, you know, are you sure you know how to write? I mean, he was getting pretty, pretty nasty with his line of questioning. And there was a break in between. And I told one of my partners, I said, he's making me doubt that I was even there at the scene. Well, I'm starting to believe him. I saw the guy do the bad thing, but I'm pretty sure he's innocent because that guy's good. The Spirit testifies with such conviction that you're his child, that no matter what you think, no matter what you do and what you feel, his word remains true. His testimony remains true. So when I don't feel it, when I don't think it, when I can't remember it, I need to hear it. That's part of the God-designed life. Part of the God-designed life is then to lean into God's word, to lean into what he has for us. Lastly, it's that you are refocused on God's purposes. What happens there? Is that Paul is saying, well, we'll read it. 
if indeed we share in his... My translation had sufferings, but I, I don't think that one was right, right? Does anybody's translation have anything better than sufferings? No? No, huh? That kind of messes up the whole blessing part and God-designed life, and you'll find life. It'll be awesome for you. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Wow. Well, how does that work? I'll give you a case study. Matthew 26. You don't have to turn there. but You can write it down and look at the story later. Uh, off memory here. M- Matthew 26. Peter, James, and John. Jesus gets them together. He gets around the family of God, right? His, his brothers. And he goes to pray in the Garden of Gethsemane. You, you know this story. You may know the story. And he prays to who? Father, right? And what does he say? I will go with you. I will follow you. I really would rather not go that way. I'd rather go this way. <laughs> Please. He, he's asking so desperately, so honestly, so truthfully, so intimately that he begins to sweat blood, a rare medical condition. And God the Father comes down, comforts him, and says, you know what? You gathered with God's people. You prayed to me. You were willing to go to the cross. So that's good enough. I'm really glad that you were willing to go. Now you don't have to go. Jesus rode off into the sunset. And now we're good, right? No. What happens? He gets up and says, Judas is coming. He gets betrayed with a kiss. He goes to the cross. And the very God he prayed for comfort He says, why have you forsaken me? It's almost as if like walking with God and living the life that God has designed for you and for me might lead us in his sufferings. That maybe walking the life of God isn't the easiest life or the nicest life or the best life, but maybe when Jesus says, when you lose your life, you'll find it. And when you pick up your cross and you follow me, you'll find, what does it say? His glory. That when you and I walk the hard life that is the God life, it might not be easy, but it will bring out holiness in you. It will make you more like him. You'll understand what he went through. You'll really not want to make him cry. And you'll really want to make him smile. When you're refocused on God's purposes. You'll say, God, I really don't want to. But if you want me to, I will. And you'll begin to walk the life God wants for you. And you can think about this on your own and you can maybe have this, you know, with, if you have a quiet time or on your drive home today, have I been telling God I'm willing to let him rule my life or have I actually given him the ability to change my life? I'll rephrase it because I'm on the roll. Um, I'm just kind of going here. Are you giving him credit for your life or are you giving him control of your life? 
Are you okay with him taking you to the hard places? And when he tells you to go, you actually get up and go. That might mean you confess sin that you haven't told anybody. That might mean that by you confessing sin, you bring more pain into your life, right? Because now people know about it. And you have to work through some of the hard things in your heart. Maybe some of us have been keeping things secret in hopes that maybe they just go away. And God's saying, I want you to, First John, walk in the light. Because I'm in the light. Maybe God's calling you to some really hard places with your coworkers. You're not going to participate in their jokes. You're not going to go with them where they go. Maybe with your family, you're not just going to do whatever they want you to do. Maybe you're going to begin to uproot the bad and begin to place and let God place the good roots in your life. And people will be upset. And people won't like you. And friendships and relationships might be severed. But because you're refocused on God's purposes, you're okay with the hard things because in that you will find his glory. Amen? God has some incredible things in store for you and for me. Why do I say that? Because of what we just read. And those incredibly awesome things might be incredibly difficult. There might be things about you that you love that he wants to get rid of. Not because he doesn't like you, but because he loves you. There might be things that he's calling you to that will be really, really hard. But he, he's after you. He wants you. He's your dad. He really, 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 really loves you. Even when it's hard. Parents, you get that? Right, you get that. Let me pray. Father God, you love us even when it's really, 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 really hard. God, we want you even when it's really, 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 really hard. Sometimes what we want and what we do is not the same thing. So God, we ask for a change of heart that you change us from the inside out to live the life you want for us. Help us plug in. Help us plug into the church. Plug into you. And begin to focus our attention on what you have for us. God, help us lose our life that we may find it.